Everybody, I wonder if you would pray with me again as we begin this uh, new adventure in the book of Acts. Jesus, thank you uh, for your presence. Uh, Lord, thank you that you are not far away. Lord, even as Daniel was reminding us, Lord, you are a high priest who is close, who understands, Lord. God, we have uh, huge things happening in the world, and we have things happening right here. Uh, Lord, I just want to uh, continue to pray for it. I know people here uh, know, but just uh, I know even as they're here this morning, Lord, we want to pray for Sean and his family um, as they uh, grieve the loss of Kendra. Lord, as she is face-to-face with you this morning, um, but Lord, we ask for your presence to just continue to guide and lead and Lord, be just a, a, a comfort, Lord Jesus. Lord, at the same time as we pray for our friends here, Lord, we are um, connected uh, through your body, Lord, to the larger church, Lord. There are churches this morning in Ukraine that are praying for their ability to be a a place of hope and of truth and life. Uh, Lord, would you be with them this morning? Would you give us um, just great hope as we jump into your word, Lord Jesus? Thank you, uh, Lord, for how good you are. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is here moving and leading us. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. If you have a Bible, I encourage you uh, to turn to the book of Acts. And so it's, if you go to the New Testament, uh, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And it's almost this, uh, now what? And you saw it right there at the beginning uh, in our series video. I remember this feeling with all three of our babies that I wasn't prepared or that somebody maybe had made a mistake by letting me have a baby. <laughs> like, it, like I was gonna break one of them. That's what I felt like. And so with Maya, we were in Saigon and it was a hotel room with Caleb and Abby. It was a hospital room in Tennessee. But for all three, I felt this sense of, ah, I, I, I think I'm too young for this. I think I don't know what I'm doing. What if, you know, that you go in and you start this whole thing. And with Maya, it was a year long process of praying and waiting and hoping and then going and getting to see her and then having to come home for a month while she stayed there, wondering how's she doing in the hospital room, labor and delivery. You got wires hooked up. You got monitors for baby, monitors for mom. Everything's like, you know, everybody's dialed in and zoomed in. And then all of a sudden the baby's there and they're like, here you go, go home. And part of me was like, don't you want to just like keep monitoring their heart? Yeah, I don't know, maybe for a couple of weeks. Can somebody come with us? When we were in in our hospital room, it was the biggest relief in the world when the nurse came in and said, you want us to take Caleb down to the nursery for a little bit? You mean that's okay? (laughs) Yes please, you know, and you get some sleep or when your parents come over or somebody comes over to help this thing to say, let us, you know, let me take your little one for a little bit of time. This thing of what do we do in the church at this point? And honestly, the church right now in the world kind of feels like this. Like, is it ready to take on what's happening in the world? Can we step forward? Can we be faithful? And 
part of this is also because at the beginning of the church in the Bible, you had a whole group of people who were also trying to kill it. So yeah, for us, it's raise your brand new baby, teach them, feed them, help them grow up. For them, it was like, yeah, let's do all those things. And there are people who are trying to kill us. People who want this dead. The church today feels vulnerable. A little bit vulnerable. So what's it like to grow, to be on mission with Jesus, to not give up hope, to stand with him? This book is part two. And you're going to see that even in the opening part here. Just as a reminder, if you're just joining us, we did Luke all last year. This book, you're getting to read somebody's mail. A guy named Theophilus. Luke was a doctor. He was somebody who was a follower of Jesus, a Gentile. He wrote this book, Luke, and then part two to his friend, Theophilus. Why? Luke tells us in the first book, he says, I want you to be certain. I want you to know that following Jesus is the right thing to do. That what you're starting to believe about Jesus, it can be trusted. And so it was written to him, but it was also written to the early believers. They read it. The letter got passed around. The book got passed around. And it's being passed to us. And the same question is there. And honestly, this is the best part for me. The book of Acts is about you. It's about me. We can be a part of this story or not. The question hangs and looms out there. Will you follow? Will you be a part of this story or not? It's very popular right now in our world as we look at what looks to be the vulnerable church, what looks to be like we've got a big target on our backs. People who leave the church leave it in style, don't they? with social media, with pictures of sunsets, and I'm finally free. The hashtag exvangelical is very popular right now. I'm finally free from the tyranny, from the authoritarian rule of God, and now I have life. That's what the world is saying, and you're, you have the same choice. Is Jesus worth following? Is he, can he be trusted? Luke wanted to tell Theophilus, oh yeah, he can. And let me show you what he is doing and what he is continuing to do. So just keep that in your head. It was written to one guy, Theophilus. But now it's the story of thousands, of millions who have walked with Jesus or walked away from him. That story's in here too. And it is, or can be, your story. It's certainly mine. I'm in. I'm, I can't help it. He has my heart. But that question will hang in the air for you. And it's, it's there every time we open God's word. Does he have yours? I'm going to tell you this story today. Let's open to Acts 1. We're going to read the first five verses and jump in here. Here we go. Should be up there? Yeah. In the first book, Luke O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days, speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father 
which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So first thing to look at, all that Jesus began to do and teach. My first book, this is what we're talking about. All that he began to do and teach. He just started, he was just getting going until the day he was taken up. So the days after Jesus rose from the dead had to be pretty exciting. If I time travel back and I wanna do this in heaven, I don't know if you can, but is there a way to pull that book out and I want to travel back to this spot of when Jesus kept showing up to people. People would say, I heard he was alive, there's no way. And then sure enough, poof, he would show up and they'd be like, ah! And he'd say, hey, look, look at my hands, look at my feet. Thomas, the famous one, he wasn't the only one. He wasn't the only one wanting to know, is this a real thing? He'd sit down with people, he would talk with them, he would eat in front of them to let them know, yeah, it's... It's really me. You can touch my hands. I imagine that there would be a few moments in one of those 40 days of visiting when he showed up in somebody's house. And you know, there had to be somebody that there's always that one person in the group. Jesus comes in, everybody's like, oh, it's so great to see you. Hug you. That's kind of weird, you know, but somebody sits back and he's sitting there talking and there's somebody in the corner of the room and they're just doing this. And he looks at them and he's like, yes. It's like, sorry, it's just kind of, I don't know weird. You were dead and everything. <laughs> there had to be somebody like that. And he's like, it's really me. I'm really here. It's, I am alive. Yeah, but death, I know. You conquered it. Yep. You're here. Yes. Jesus conquers death. He's walking around. He's truly alive in the flesh. Imagine somebody in one of those houses had heard that he was alive, had seen him. Somebody else shows up at their house and is like, no, he's not alive. I'm telling you, he's alive. He's coming for dinner tonight. What? I thought he was dead. Yes, he's coming for dinner. You better get ready. You better clean your room or something. <laughs> don't miss, just because we jump into this, don't miss the joy and the wonder and the awe of people getting to see the resurrected Jesus getting to hang out with him, getting to hear his voice, to see somebody who was clearly gone alive again. So Luke says that was the first book. Now I want to tell you about my second book. The one you're reading right now, Theophilus, is all about what Jesus is going to do. He's going to keep doing. So when I, I'll just tell you a little thing. When I, I remembered as a young believer, opening up the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, awesome, man, look at this, all the stories. And then somehow I just always wanted to flip to a couple of verses in Romans. Romans was a little bit thick for me as a high schooler, but you know, I use a Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, we put it under our football things right here. You know, it's like, yeah, like the easy ones, right? You know what book I skipped? Acts, all the time. I was like, ugh. Too many people. <laughs> it's kind of how I felt. Too many stories. They seem to have lots of conflicts. I'm so excited to jump in again because one of the things, I got a book and it's the title of the book is this. And I stole the title for the title of our series, The Acts of the Risen Lord Jesus. That's what you're gonna see is Jesus acting. Usually it's the Acts of the Apostles. It even says that in your Bible probably. And yes, 
they were acting out, the church was growing. But this is the acts of the risen Lord Jesus in the church, in the lives of people, which is why it should be exciting for us too, because it is supposedly the acts of the risen Lord Jesus in us. So we're going to come back to that phrase again and again, and I want you to start saying it though. I want you to start asking, Lord, where are you at work? So Jesus is walking around. He's showing up. He's giving evidence for his resurrection. Everyone though kind of knew something was about to happen. He had that look in his eyes that he was about to do something. His words to them right here, very specific and direct. Verse four, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Stay, wait for the promise of the Father. Wait. But he also had a little bit of a gleam in his eyes. I think the disciples had seen it before, right before he was about to do something crazy, like heal somebody or multiply bread and fish. He would have this look that was like, watch what I'm about to do. And I think at this moment, Jesus is saying, listen, you gotta wait because I can't contain my excitement for what's about to happen to you. But listen, you've got to wait for it. You gotta wait for it. A lot of times you're seeing what happened, what is happening, but you're also getting an example for how things are supposed to work in the life of a believer. There is waiting, isn't there? Do we like waiting? We do not like waiting, ever especially not in our Western context. What does our Western context say? Take it now, get your moment, grab your 15 minutes. Our world says the opposite of wait. Wait isn't cool. Wait doesn't get you followers. Wait doesn't get you likes. Wait for what? Go for it, just do it. Nike, like all this thing about all the things, nobody has a slogan on their product that says, wait to buy this, <laughs> right? <laughs> no, buy it now. You need it now. Nobody says, wait. Jesus, the most important person in the history of history, and in the most important moment, he's just conquered death, says, yeah, wait. Wait for it. People that do wait like to tell others that don't want to wait, it was worth the wait. You're like, shut up right? I don't want to wait. It's difficult. It's painful. And it doesn't look exciting. What does the early church look like right now? Nothing. People hiding in homes. What are y'all doing? Waiting. For what? You know who is super excited, even fired up about this moment? Jesus. He is more excited about what is about to happen than anything that happened in his ministry in Galilee when he was walking around, touching people, healing people. He is more excited about this moment. And part of it is because it includes you, because it includes what's going to happen in the rest of the world. This is when the cat gets let out of the bag. This is when the announcement goes to the whole world. But here's the thing, though. If God is God, all-powerful, if he rose from the dead, can do anything why should we have to wait for anything? Why can't he just snap his fingers, make it all perfect? Even at this moment, he was murdered. He's risen from the dead. You shouldn't have a PR problem here, Jesus. You could go out 
you don't have to wait. This thing has legs. It can go viral so fast. Can you imagine if he just went and showed up in front of Pilate again? Caesar, head to the other nations. You can get this thing knocked out in a matter of months. The whole world would be, wait a minute, not the whole world because 1972 would be left out. 2022 would be left. Do you see a little bit of Jesus long game here? But for them, they're like, let's just do it. At this moment though, the church looks like a helpless little baby that needs a lot of help, that needs caring for, that doesn't look like it's ready to take on the world. It's fragile. And the world looks at that church. If you asked Pilate, if you asked one of the Romans, if you asked the Jewish leaders, what do you think about that Jesus movement? We killed him. He's dead. They're gone. That's it. Yeah, but what about the whole risen? He's not risen. Rumors, it'll die down. It's over. That's what the world looks at and sees at that moment. They look at the church and they're like, church, stupid. What does the world look at the church right now? What do they say? Stupid. It's nothing. It's a crutch. It's for people who just need to talk themselves into something else because they don't want to face reality. Well, Jesus, can we rethink this whole wait for it approach? Can we, can we try maybe to have a marketing and a PR meeting for a minute? Like we kind of know how to do things in the West. We know how to get your name out there, Jesus. We can put, we could put your name on a water bottle. People will carry it around and drink water all day long. Even though I didn't drink water when I was a kid. I'm just telling you, I'm alive still, right? <laughs> I did not walk. I was that kid that did not drink water all day long. I ran outside and played, built forts. I came inside when my mom wasn't looking. I grabbed the milk jug and I drank right from it and stuck it back in there. That was me, no water. But anyway, Jesus, we could put your name on a water bottle. We can get you. We are influencers, Lord. Jesus says, no. No, wait, wait. Isn't it a better plan, Lord, that you just kind of keep showing up alive? Listen, we got this, we have this event coming up with atheists coming. They don't even think there's a God at all. Will you be our keynote speaker? You know, you can get up there and you can say, look, anybody wanna come touch my wound? Like I'm alive. Will you be our keynote speaker Forever, at every event, we can get this whole thing conquered. How is this not a good plan? Jesus still says, wait. Hands are going up. Looks of confusion. I don't understand. Can we ask a couple of questions about this, Lord? Sure, go ahead. Verse six. So they're listening. They come together and they asked him, Lord, Will you at least at this time be restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but, so new question you aren't asking, but I'm gonna answer it anyway. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Will you at this time restore the kingdom 
to Israel. Interesting question, interesting way to phrase it, isn't it? It was right in front of them. That's what they had hoped for. Fix Israel, fix our national problem. We have Roman oppressors. We have been slaves. We don't look good. We want to look good. We want you to hurt them. <laughs> we want you to deal with them. They're our enemies. Are you going to deal with this oppressive, awful, dark enemy in the circumstances that we've been staring at our whole lives? Are you going to fix this? Lord, we've been waiting for this. We've been waiting for this. This is what you told us you would do. You'd bring the sword. You'd conquer. You'd set up your kingdom. Well, are you going to reestablish the sovereign state of Israel? So what's the big deal? Why is it bad to want this? It isn't necessarily to want justice, to want oppression to be gone, to not be slaves, to have God answer the promises that he set up. But they're lacking in depth and scope. And so he says this, it's not for you to know times and seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Now, one of the things that you want to read in that phrase is this, there are times and seasons fixed by the father and his authority. There are things that he has decided. Let's put that in our language. Every single thing that happens in the world, including what's happening conflicts and wars that are happening right now, genocide that's happening in China with the Uyghur people, Afghanistan, refugees, you name it. Everything that is happening is all under his control. He plans and works and uses everything for good, for his kingdom, for his glory. Those times, those seasons are fixed. God isn't up there at this big master control board going, oh my goodness, I just have to turn the knobs in the right way to fix stuff. Everything's right on schedule. But he says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Doesn't say never. He says right now, it's not for you to know. But there are those things. They are fixed. So there is a time when God will make this whole mess of a world right. You better believe it. He will fix it. Absolutely. Those things are set, but, and here's where Jesus inserts a redirect, and it's a correction. He is correcting. They're asking about their own nation. They're asking about their own circumstances. They're asking about what's right in front of them. You ever do this in prayer? God has bigger things on the agenda, but you're like, yeah, but you need to fix this first. I need you to fix this. This bothers me first. And the Lord says, well, let's talk about this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And what does he do? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So there's Israel. And in Judea. And Samaria. And to the ends of the earth. He expands it. He takes them beyond Israel. So let's just do it. Let's just do it. Let's go beyond America in our head right now. Just do it. I know it may be uncomfortable, maybe a touchy subject about everything's going on, but just do it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a part of a kingdom that is beyond this world, so you have to take it out of our country. In your thinking and in the way you picture the kingdom of God, you have to go beyond nations and borders and political allegiance. You have to. Jesus says, do it. You're to be a witness to the ends of the earth. 
Yes, it will start in your local area. Israel's important. God is going to take care of that thing, but I need you to think bigger. Well, like my neighbor? Yeah, bigger. Ends of the earth is how he wants to use us. But where's your army, Jesus? Where's your army? Where are the tanks, fighter jets? Where are the government leaders that we want in place, our people we pick who control all aspects of governing so that we can force people to be your followers? Oops. Did I just say that out loud? We think it though, don't we? Jesus is like, eh, <laughs> if he could do that. Offsides, whistle, no. But that's what we want. We want now, he says, wait for it and expand beyond Israel. Expand beyond the things that you think are the way I'm gonna do something. Because guess what? The reason they ask this question is because we are drawn like moths to a flame to take matters into our own hands, to find a way to do something our way immediately. It'll draw us in. Don't believe me? Just look at the last two years. COVID and political mayhem are witness right there to the fact that we can be pulled and divided to where we actually think certain people are beyond his reach or not on our team anymore. It will never work. And if we pursue it, it won't be his kingdom. It will be our kingdom. So how will Jesus get this thing done? I'm going to pull from Ezekiel. Not by might or power. Not by might or power. And that is a direct reference to our might and our power and what we can come up with as human beings. But what does it bring? That's, I pulled that from one of the headlines. That's Ukraine. That happened recently. Destruction. That's what we bring when we say, we'll get it done. We'll get it done for you, Jesus. Jesus says, not by armies, not by government, not by politics. You know how I'm going to do this? My spirit invading human hearts one at a time, taking up residence in people. This will be my army. You will be my witnesses. This will be my way. Just a reference to some verses maybe you have heard. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block, because that's not powerful in our minds, but it is Christ, the power of God. Paul said, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in trembling and my speech and my message weren't in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. So when we think about Jesus' words of correction here, and they are correction. Lord, are you gonna get in there and just really destroy our enemies right now? Uh, no, it's not for you to really know that right now, but let me tell you what I am gonna do, what I wanna do, and how the spirit is gonna come upon you. He's nudging them back 
to thinking about the right things. He came to save the world. So if you missed any of what I just said, I'm just going to redirect in a different way right here and say it again. If you find yourself, maybe because of some similar wrong thinking, like the disciples, or maybe some human effort that you were putting in apart from the Spirit, you may have lost his heart for the world. Maybe we need to ask the question, what does it mean to be a witness for Jesus? And who should I be witnessing to? What kind of person is beyond his reach? Anyone? Maybe the inclination to build my own kingdom or my allegiance to a political party, even the American dream has caused me, Chad, to at times count someone out or put them in the camp of my enemies. So let's talk about a recent example, Ukraine. Are you praying? Are you willing to give of your prayers, your money, your time to care for people who need the hope of Jesus in a time of crisis? Or was your first thought about the war in Ukraine is that, well, if my person was in office, that wouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have to care about other people in other countries. That's their problem. You'd be like, oh shoot, I shouldn't be them. But you know, if blah, 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 I, I listen, I was at a hockey game the other day. It wasn't even in the conversation. Around me, the conversation is like, if blah, 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 was rah, 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 that we wouldn't even remember. No concern for the fact that people, and as I've watched and read, and I'm sure you have too, I'm watching moms and dads with little ones holding their hands in suitcases packed, standing with thousands of other people trying to get on a train, trying to get out of town so they don't get killed. And my heart breaking, and yet my flesh, well, should it be my problem? What should I be doing? You might be saying, whoa, this is a big leap from Acts to Ukraine. Is it? Is it? Let me show you. I just read this this week. Just an article. First, the quote at the top. If the church is not relevant in a time of crisis, then it is not relevant in a time of peace. If we aren't ready for this, what are we doing here? So what are churches doing right now to prepare or to help with Ukraine? Look at this. During this critical moment, our church, which has about a thousand people attending on a normal Sunday, is also a place of service. We recently conducted several trainings on performing first aid. People are learning how to apply a tourniquet, stop bleeding, apply bandages, and manage airways. These lay people aren't going to become doctors, but this has given them confidence to care for their neighbors if necessary. You may be wondering, where in the world is this church? Right in the middle. Right in the middle. And their training, their regular people, imagine if you saw Isaiah or somebody from announcement saying, hey, PV, this Wednesday, we will be giving training on first aid, how to apply a tourniquet, how to manage airways, how to stop bleeding for our neighbors who are going to be getting bombed. This is the church, and I love this at the bottom, you can barely see it, but it says, we decided to stay, both as a family and as a church because we wanna help, we wanna serve people. We want, as they are fleeing, we want to tell them there's hope in Jesus. Notice what they're not doing. They're not jumping into the, restoring the kingdom of Israel, 
Are you going to destroy this? Are you going to do this? Look at the political stuff. This. It's not that we can't care about those things and we don't want to pray about them. But the Lord says, I got a different mission for you. I have a different place for you. So as a church, we want to respond and our denomination is awesome at jumping on these things. And as soon as Pastor Sammy called to find out what was going on, I'll just show you the page here. This is on the EFCA's site. It's easy to find because you can just go to our website. We have a link on the front that says refugees in Ukraine, how to help, how to support, how to pray, how to give, whatever God is leading you to do. But there's a need. It's a way for you to practically, yeah, offer yourself to the Lord and to pursue being the church. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. And it's an easy way also, if you have maybe erred in the way you've thought about things, to kind of reset, to pull yourself back in. I want to tell you something, and I'm like, I'm more than a year now off of the IV of social media and the news. Like I've been unhooked from the matrix for over a year now. Okay, now I just want to tell you, and I'm not saying you have to do that, but can I tell you that the air is really good out here? <laughs> it's amazing if you pull out of that doom scrolling feed and you start listening to God's heart, it's, it is easier to find the cross and the path of the gospel through things like this, through things like COVID how to be somebody who's a grace person in the middle. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm telling you there's air. And so you can look at these things and your heart can break and can say, okay, Lord, what can we do? How can I be a witness? How can I not get caught up in the conversations? My question, and I think the, the early church people, as they, this is just the first conversation they have with Jesus just before he leaves. So far he has said, wait, and he said, wrong question. Okay, that's how it's going. He's risen from the dead and he said, you're gonna to need to wait and you're asking the wrong question. I'm gonna do something totally different. I've mentioned to you the chosen. Watch the chosen. Oh my goodness, watch the chosen. If you wanna fall in love with Jesus, watch the chosen. The one where he recruits Simon the Zealot, a zealot was somebody who was politically motivated, who would kill people for their cause. It's this beautiful scene with Simon by the river. Jesus comes up to him and he's got this dagger. It's like a sacred dagger. He's been training for years to be a part of the zealots. And Jesus says, can I see your, can I see your dagger? And Simon just pulls it out and he's like, almost like this is just a treasure to me. And Jesus goes, throws it in the river. And he's like, what? And he's like, you're not gonna be needing that. We're doing things differently. Wait, ask a different question. Not by might, not by power. But Jesus, why don't you just stay? Why can't you just fix it all right away? I'm excited about the last few verses. We'll finish up here, but I learned something new this week and just feel like I'm learning it for the first time. I know I should know. <laughs> but I didn't. And God's just teaching me and it's exciting and I want you to be excited about it too. Let's read the last two verses and then we'll talk about it and finish. So after this, a bit of an intense conversation and a bit of struggle, the fact that they're gonna wait and that Jesus is already correcting them, he says, when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up 
Like, not like, we worship you and we lift you up, Jesus, you're amazing. No, like, you know, like picture a rocket, just like he's going. Everybody's like, oh my goodness. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, I hope somebody took a picture of this. I bet for real, <laughs> like, I just want to see the look, you know? Everybody's standing there. And I bet it was just this like tiny little crowd too. This is the beginning. This is a baby, baby church. They're gazing into heaven as he went. Behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, what are you doing staring into heaven? Quit gawking. This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Listen, look at the two phrases there, into heaven, into heaven. So they were looking on, he was lifted up. He's gone. I can't believe it. There's truly this sense of, we said it in the series video, now what? What do we do now? And where's he going anyway? Why does he have to go? Angels had to love their mission at this moment. You know, those guys were like, can we go, can we go, can we go, go, okay, woo! And they get there and they're just like, hey, everybody, what are you doing? Can we tell you what's gonna happen? Smiles on their faces. This Jesus who has, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. What just happened? Five key events define Jesus and his ministry on earth. Incarnation taking on flesh. That's number one. Transfiguration with the disciples up on the mountain. What does he do? He pretty much takes his skin and goes, and the light goes. He shows them who he really is. He's standing there with Moses and Elijah and they're like, oh my goodness, it's really you. Incarnation, transfiguration. Anybody know the next one? Hint, hint, hint. Crucifixion. They all have IONs. Crucifixion, resurrection, and guess what the last one is? Ascension. It doesn't get any playtime on the radio station of Jesus, Christianity, churchianity, whatever. It doesn't get playtime. Crucifixion, all day long. There's another song about the cross. Resurrection, yeah. Ascension, not so much. It's kind of like a page turn. Feels like this thing, it's like, well, yeah, he went. Douglas Farrow is a, a theologian. He says that this event is the hinge that Luke and Acts, if Luke and Acts are two halves of this huge book, they hang on this hinge of the ascension. It is so important. John 16, 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's better that I go away. It's to your advantage that I leave. If I don't go away, the helper can't come. If I go, I'll send him to you. So why is it better? Because when he goes into heaven, something happens. Something else can happen following that, but something happens. I had a question though. Doesn't this mean that the incarnation is now just a memory? Because God is no longer, I mean, he's with us, you know, like with us. He's with us in spirit. You know, like we say, you know, we understand that. It's a spiritual kind of term. But he's not like walking around with us. Wasn't that better? Isn't the incarnation like, well, why didn't we get to be a part of that? 
Why do we have to have the invisible Jesus? Everybody, they got to see the real in the flesh, Jesus. Why do we get the invisible Jesus? Isn't it just a memory? Isn't it going back to the old way? It seems like Jesus just had to run a difficult errand to earth to get this whole cross thing done, and now he's back. So glad. It was so dark down there. But now I'm back in heaven. We need to change our thinking. Why did Jesus need to ascend back to heaven? Today's message title gives you a little bit of a hint. The coronation of King Jesus. Not the exit of Jesus. The coronation, the crowning of King Jesus. Because if you had had the heaven side perspective of this moment of the people on the ground going like this, and you saw heaven side, you would have heard music. You would have heard roars of holy, holy, victorious King. Millions upon millions, rank upon rank of angels cheering, welcoming back the victorious king. Take your place, king. Sit next to your father. Now we're like, where did he go? This stinks. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's kind of how we feel. And in heaven, they're like, whoa, this is insane. He is here. The best way to describe what just happened is to hear their shouts and cheers from heaven. All hail King Jesus. All hail the Lord of heaven and earth. This book that we're going to go in covers about 30 years of the church. So from baby to 30 year old, you're going to see a lot, some ups and some downs. But one thing that will be clear is that this will be the rule and reign of the risen King of Kings acting in history. Alistair Begg's a great preacher. If you ever listen in, if you ever want to listen to somebody who has a better voice than me, because he's Scottish, he sounds really cool, but he's been in a church in Ohio for, I don't know, 30 something years, but he still sounds Scottish. Huh. Um, but he's amazing. He's, he says, what is the picture here? It's not Christ on a cross. That's not what you're picturing. It's not even the cross being crushed. It's not an empty tomb. That's not what they're saying there, the angels. It's not a stone being rolled away. It's not symbolic in that way. He said, the picture is of a risen and ascended king. That is the picture. Some practical things for us to consider what this means for us. Just a few things. First, you have access to that king if you want it. You have access to that king. You have his ear. He will listen to you. You have the opportunity to have the risen Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, living in your heart so that you're never alone, but forever sealed in his love and the hope of his salvation. Second, he wants to listen to you. He will listen to you. He asks you to ask for things. The king who has all authority and who sets the times and seasons, he wants to hear from you. He wants you to speak to him on behalf of your children, on behalf of your neighbors, on behalf of Ukraine, on the people around you, that you would call to him, the king who can get things done. Third, Jesus is still both fully God and fully man. He still has flesh. Why is that important? Because he's closer to you than you are to yourself. 
What? I read that in a chapter this past month. He knows you better than you know yourself. That's amazing to think about because he knows what it's like to be in your skin. You too will be able to see the nail marks in his hands. Karl Barth said this, this wasn't just Jesus coming down the incarnation. And he's like, well, give me that beggar's robe and let me put this thing on. Gosh, this thing stinks. I was a king and I was in glory. And now I'm here in this dirty place. And he just acts out this thing of like, I got to get this done. I got to be here for a little bit. But then he goes back and he sheds the beggar's robe. And he's like, I'm glad that's done. That was awful. Is that what he does? No. He leaves still human, still God, so that he can forever call you brother, forever call you family, daughter, son, That's the importance of him ascending as the risen Christ, the human and God risen. Fourth, the enemy's plan to destroy you has been foiled, dealt with, mocked even. Ephesians 4, what does it say? Grace was given to each of us, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives. Not only did he come in as the risen and conquering king, he's dragging the enemy behind him and saying, dealt with death blow to the enemy. Fifth, you're seated with him in heavenly places. You too have ascended. You're saying like, where did he go? What are we doing? No. Ephesians says, oh, hey, by the way, you're seated with him in Christ, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. That's our verse as a church together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And here it is, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Sixth, he is with you. His authority is with you. He won't leave you. From Matthew 28, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth given to me. So go and make disciples Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. There is a season of waiting, and I think it's important for us as a church to wait, to wait on the Lord, to ask how we should be in 2022 and in this culture and in this time. I think sometimes that plays out in individual relationships. We are to wait. God says, well, just get in there and just hammer them. No, he says, by my spirit, listen, not by might, not by power. Why can we be confident in this? Because of his ascension, because he's seated, because he's ruling and reigning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for just jumping in an intro here. Uh, Lord, I'm so thankful just for my own heart of opening the book of Acts this past week and just being amazed at even just the change of how I see it. Lord, that this is you at work because it's so easy to think, well, I better get to work. Look at all the things the apostles did. Look at the early church, man, I'm nowhere near that. Uh, I live in Winona. But God, you are acting, ruling and reigning. So Lord, we pray this morning that you would prompt us right now, Lord, if, if it is practical and simple, something that says, you know what? I have absolutely 
been taking matters into my own hands and I have been, I've been thinking about things only according to the flesh, only according to what's right in front of me, what's on my news feed, what's on my social media feed. I've been making decisions based on political things. I've been making decisions based on opinion of people around me and of what the culture has said. And I haven't even asked you, Jesus. I haven't even asked your spirit. I've been ignoring your spirit. Lord, maybe that's a place of repentance for us this morning. Or maybe there are some of us who have felt isolated and alone and we just need to hear you calling us home to say, you are mine. I bought you with a price. Or give us the courage to surrender. And Lord, others of us, Lord, we need to rest in the fact that you are not um, asleep at the wheel. <laughs> Lord, you are ruling and reigning. Times and seasons have been fixed by you. God, things are moving forward according to your plan. The question is, are we moving with you? Lord, give us um, courage to stand with you, not worry about standing with others to stand with you and Lord to um, remember and proclaim that you have all authority that you are worth the wait God give us great courage as a church Lord, we're small we're in our small little town here but God we have a big savior we follow the king of kings where we are your servants Lord, give us courage to step out in faith, Lord. God, I would be dishonest if I didn't say, Lord, that every time there's a need that's out there, Lord, you always, you, it seems to be the same time where we're kind of struggling to make ends meet. And that is the case. But Lord, you give us the grace to still say, hey, this is something that we, we can do. We can listen to the Lord, we can pursue, we can trust, we can give of our lives and our hearts and our money and our time, however he's leading us. God, we want to honor you as king this morning. We pray you would pursue us, Lord, that our hearts respond as we worship him. In Christ's name, amen.